0: Hey, I'm glad you're here. This is episode 16 and the conversation continues between me and my friend Karen Backway as we discuss Greg McEwan's book, Essentialism. We're talking about this book because it addresses key components to being a good, hopefully even great owner of your life. Now, Karen is a physician is now a life coach. She's super smart, a lovely person, and a terrific friend. We're talking about part two of the book today. Grab a copy of the book if you haven't already and join in our discussion. Here we go, part two of Essentialism. Welcome to an owner's guide for your life the podcast that combines psychology, coaching, common sense, and fun. I'm Tracy Browning, an entrepreneur, life coach, and lover of people. Now, let's talk about how to live, love, make money, and change the world. I'm back with my fabulous friend, Karen Backway. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, yay, yay. So we are going to keep on talking about Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism, because we both love it so much. And I love it as I'm being exposed to it, as I've just finished reading part two. <laughs> Karen, why do you love it? Why do you keep coming back to it? Because it's an essential book. Oh, oh, you're welcome for that setup.
1: (laughs) It's such a fantastic book. It has the power to transform your day and anything that can transform your day has the potential to transform your life.
0: Oh, beautifully said.
1: Huge difference.
0: It really can. That was beautiful. And if you're listening, you should probably hit that little button that takes you back 15 seconds to listen to that again. (laughs) That was good. Uh, So we're going to start with part two's title is Explore. And chapter five is that first section in there. And the chapter five's title is Escape. And these are like, ooh, kind of intriguing words to me. To use to talk about essentialism, to explore and escape, and one of the quotes he uses to start off the the chapter is from Picasso: "Without great solitude, no serious work is possible." Now, I think that's probably music to an introvert's heart <laughs> to have great solitude be required to have great work.
1: Now, do you consider yourself an introvert?
0: Oh, here's the term I use. Okay. (laughs) I like, because I do not like the term ambivert, because I think that sounds like a name of a deodorant. I don't (laughs) want to be an ambivert. (laughs) So I decided that what I am is a situational extrovert that in some situations, and honestly, yes, in in many or most situations, I'm an extrovert. But in a lot of situations, I'm an introvert. And some of it depends on what my energy level's like. Am I just tired of being around people because I've been around people so much and I need to go to my quiet place to restore and rejuvenate? Um, I am my father's daughter in that I like to take a walk in the woods, being surrounded by trees and nature restores my soul. So that's what I think of, that's the picture I get in my head when I see this quote without great solitude. I think about talking, you know, walking and talking, just being alone in the woods, talking to myself, thinking my thoughts. That's where if I really want to come up with ideas, Just kind of ah. Let me just go walk in the woods.
1: Oh, you know uh, the concept of introvert slash extrovert to me isn't actually on what you're putting out there. It's actually what recharges you. And, And an extrovert is fueled up and really gets driven by being out there, up on stage being all that, you know, over the topness and that recharges them versus an introvert who can go and do all those things but then they have to go back and be alone to recharge themselves. So, from what you just said, I'm with you, get out in nature whenever possible, preferably with your dog.
0: Yeah. And
1: that's how I recharge too. It's like I need to be quiet and on my own with my own thoughts.
0: But when I'm ready and the time is right and it's called for, I really can be charged by being around people, being in front of people. I like to speak. You know, I like those kind of things. So I still, I like, I think I got a good term with situational extrovert.
1: <laughs> I love where he goes in and he talks about space to design. Yes. And he talks about this design school where they have a room that goes that's you know doesn't the hall goes nowhere except to this room and there's nothing in the room not even chairs right or they might have a chair or two that you can sit on but you go there explicitly to be in the silence and to think
0: exactly and he spends a good bit of time talking about you have to be purposeful you have to create this space to escape I mean, especially in society now, where we're deluged with just all the bells—literal bells and whistles and alarm tones and pings and noises and notifications—you have to create, and you've got to—you've got to set your boundaries up, so you've Absolutely. got that space.
1: Yeah. And distractions and the noise in society now is more than over the top it is excessive and like you said you have to consciously shut it off
0: right right
1: it's not easy to do
0: no and it's not a lot
1: of people i don't think you and i are one of these a lot of people but The idea of sitting quietly with their thoughts can actually be a kind of a scary thing.
0: I think you're spot on with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Why do you think that is? I think it has much to do with the direction that society has taken since our devices are with us all the time. And we no longer know how to I'm going to say, endure boredom." Oh. Because, yeah, standing in the socially distanced grocery lines, which are now very long, you what do you do? You pull out your phone. you send a text, you do whatever. We no longer sit and do nothing. Right. And I think he mentions this. I have a couple of books on the go right now. I may be mixing up the books, but it's true. We no longer sit and do nothing.
0: Right. And but what, don't. Did, what do we know about what happens in that space? You know, physically, psychologically, emotionally, what happens when we give ourselves that space? You know, personally, I know what happens with me. Some of it is I get, I get room for rest. And I physically I am restored, you know, I just shared with you earlier that I'm tired. It's been a long weekend. We've had a lot of emotional, you know, we just did a a memorial service for my father-in-law. We've had a lot of emotional events and, you know, there's been sadness and joy and grief and all kinds of things, so I have had space this afternoon to just be by myself, and my immediate reaction, though, is to fill it with, reading <laughs> like, just just stop just be right
1: and to me the gift of boredom is that it gives your mind and your brain the opportunity to wander and to wonder it mm-hmm. allows your mind to actually sort of drift off to your daydreams and if you don't take the time to do that your brain is not going to cough it up on its own you have to pause
0: and i'm i'm flipping my page to find because i can't access my notes right now so i'm flipping my page in my book to find what that's making me think of is actually a little bit farther on into part two an albert einstein quote who said when i examine myself and my methods of thought, I come to the conclusion that the gift of fantasy has meant more to me than my talent for absorbing positive knowledge. Albert Einstein (laughs) said, he thought it was more important to have the gift of fantasy, which to me, you can't have the gift of fantasy or play. You can't have that without creating space for some boredom. For the for the space where it's not just a continual all oh, goal focus of I've got to get this done and this done and this done. But Albert Einstein thought fantasy was more important than his positive knowledge. Mm-hmm.
1: And probably without he was a violin player, right?
0: Oh, well, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he was. You um, would be sure about that. Yeah,
1: so he was a violin player and um, without his music, I don't think he would have come up with all of his, you know, th- theories that MC squared, um, E equals M ski squared, <laughs> that's it.
0: <laughs> and all I <laughs> like he come up it. with his MC hammer? that's so bad. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, uh, you know, that's something that's near and dear to both of our hearts because we're both, we're trained musicians with lots of years of experience of knowing what music theory and the practice of music and just the playing of music, what that does to your soul. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think we want to get into a contest of, well, how many hours over your life have you spent playing scales? (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) um, (laughs) don't need to talk about that. A lot of time. A lot. a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. But that, you know, I that takes. Was,
1: I was just looking down at my book and mm-hmm. it, it opened up to the section on play. And yes. he gives the definition of play um, as anything we do simply for the joy of doing rather than as a means to an end. Mm. And music absolutely fits that definition.
0: Right, right.
1: Absolutely and we as a society are very goal-oriented nowadays people don't do anything just because anymore it's so rare purpose behind it right
0: right right so so i'll tell you that kind of what's happening in the background for me one of my neighbors has a basketball goal and every once in a while it's not every day but it's fairly often now i'll hear some of the kids out playing basketball so right now I'm hearing the thump 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 and you know they're just shooting around just now it may be they may have the ultimate goal of getting on the team at school but I do I like hearing the noises of play I like it when the little four-year-old across the street rides her little orange bicycle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she rides by and i'm like oh i like that orange bike and she says it's my favorite color it makes me go faster
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, and you know play is something that adults get embarrassed about
0: he's got this whole section on that that you know what happens to within our heads with the ideas of play Now, you and I are different in this respect in that I love to play (laughs) and you know this, you know, I love it. I love to do kind of goofy things and to just, I don't know why and I don't know how, but it just, it's very freeing.
1: I think- I think,
0: I think one of the reasons why it just kind of popped in my head, because one of my really strong, heartfelt values is joy, just having and experiencing joy, kind of the peaceful joy that I can, I can tap into whatever's going on around me. I can still, to me, happy is kind of fleeting and circumstance dependent, but joy is, I like being joyful and being able to play and that doesn't always mean but for the most part I guess it kind of does mean like childlike play you know he's got some examples of of different ways that I mean like CEOs in the book who how they incorporate play and different things they've done and I'll tell you I look up and I have put up on my shelf, my mother-in-law, we just found this collection in their house as we're going through kind of cleaning things up. She had a, a basket full of, do you remember look, California raisins that the raisin company had that they would do like their little animated California raisins that would sing heard it through the grapevine and anyway I guess it was maybe Hardee's or one of these fast food restaurants put out these little California raisin figurines doing all kinds of things I've got 20 of these things across my oh, shelf now and they're oh, like, it's just, like it's just kind of fun to go it's a little funny <laughs>
1: yeah I don't think we had those up here
0: i guess you didn't canada (laughs) is different than than the u.s in in california raisins here (laughs) oh no wonder you're looking at me going nah (laughs) don't know what you're talking about but there are so many benefits of play one and as as a homeschool veteran mother one of the things that was really important to me for my sons was something that they were not getting in the public school system, the the time to be relaxed and have play, because I could see. I mean, they were very energetic boys. To ask them to sit in their seat and to be very academic and focused and not play, and and he. T- it's not just Tracy's opinion. <laughs> Greg McEwen talks about it in the book. He also. Um, Oh, I don't have it. Is it Sir Ken? Yep, I just went by it. Sir Ken Robinson, who has studied creativity in schools as his life's work. Imagination is the source of every form of human achievement. And schools, the way they're set up, because they've got to control crowds, right? One teacher, maybe a teacher and assistant with a large group of children, of course you've got to to do things in a group without a lot of play and distraction but our schools just are, are not set up unless you go to a um, uh, an artistic school later on they're not set up to fuel creativity but without creativity without play where are we going to be in this world uh, nothing it? it's
1: um... Um um oh, what's her name wrote the book mindset oh, her name is escaping me carol dweck carol dweck she talks about how every four to five year old believes that they're an amazing artist yes and then by the time they get to grade one or grade two they no longer believe that right because they're started they've already learned in that couple of years the compare and distort hyster- compare and despair game. Like, oh, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was because little Susie uses more colors or somebody has a bolder better print or maybe she's a left-handed little girl and that's just, you know, my finger painting's backwards.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: So we adults suppress the creative imagination of the kids.
0: We do. And that's so sad. It's so sad. I think we all should be like my little neighbor girl who says, I love my orange bike. It makes me go faster. (laughs) (laughs) So do
1: do you play? Do I play? Yeah. Um, By his definition of play, um, doing stuff simply for the joy of it. Yes, I do because I started to learn how to play the cello in the last few years and you can bet that that's just for the pure joy of it it's not to meet some end it will be a a long long time before i'm ready to play even with a like a community orchestra but i have fun with it i really do and i can my i can get lost in it
0: yeah yeah and so I, th- I think that's part of the. Ooh, what do you get lost in when you're doing it? Now, I am not a fabulous painter by any means, but I can get lost when I'm painting. Um, I can get Real lost. Painting
1: or paint by number painting?
0: Painting. <laughs> oh. Painting. I create things that I see in my mind. Like, awesome. Oh, let's just see what happens. Um, I over, let's see, probably about 10 years ago, I bought a dulcimer and started learning how to play the dulcimer. So like you with your cello, you know, I'm not, I'm not to the point I get lost in it. (laughs) It's, it's kind of agonizing, but it's, it's just kind of cool to kick back and not, not grade yourself not write yourself, oh, you know, this is performance worthy. No, it's just messing around, listening to the different tones. Gardening. You're a gardener.
1: I feel like I'm more a weeder. Yeah. <laughs> because the garden has got so many weeds. But yeah, gardening and you know, I don't I don't think of that as fun. It's just something that I do, but. And yeah, if by that definition, there's no particular end to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the other thing that he talks about in here, and he calls it protect the asset. Yeah. And he specifically zeroes in on sleep. And sleep is a good thing. And I suspect yes. that he zeroed in on that one because when this book was written, which was um, I think two thousand and fourteen, so seven eight seven years ago, sleep was considered a luxury. Right. And sleep should be mandatory, not a luxury, because it is when your brain reboots itself. Yes. And we, it's the first casualty when life gets busy, right? The first thing you give up is your sleep. And the next thing you give up is eating properly. And then depending what you're doing, the next thing can be your family. When life gets busy, but if you prioritize your sleep, you actually function better during the day.
0: And Music. I am just, I am nodding my head up and down so hard. I bet you can hear my brains rattling. Yep. <laughs> I love sleep. Just love it. And I can tell the difference if I get six and a half hours of sleep versus seven and a half hours of sleep. I don't usually get eight, but seven and a half hours of sleep. is a really good, like a night of good sleep. I know it. Mm-hmm. So
1: that he considers that essential yes, is probably,
0: certainly back then, was probably revolutionary. Right, right. And we are starting to hear maybe more people who read his book and went, well, holy cow, sleep really is important, huh? <laughs> but you know, from, from a medical perspective, I mean, you're, you're no slouch when it comes to understanding what happens in, in the human body. And it really is important, just the, the rejuvenative things that happen in your brain when you get a good night of sleep. Oh yeah, I mean, residency, we were routinely up for 24 to
1: 36 hours at a time. And there's research from way back then, we won't talk about how long ago that was, <laughs> yeah. but from way back then shows that being awake for 24 hours in a row is actually the equivalent, if not worse than having a blood alcohol level that is
0: considered uh, too much. Right. Right. And, you know, I want to say that's a sobering statistic. (laughs) I did it It without thinking. It is a sobering (laughs) statistic. (laughs) Okay. Right there. See what I did? I worked in a little bit of play. (laughs) To say something just for the joy of it. (laughs) But it's something that puts it in perspective, that it's not like this badge of honor. Oh, I'm so busy. I can just function and you know, and and you get a lot of that in the high performer culture of, oh, I I only need four hours of sleep. And no, honey, you need a lot more than that. Yeah. Mm.
1: There's a lot. There's famous people. um, I think um, Ronald Reagan, he used to boast about how he needed like no more than three or four hours of sleep. Margaret Thatcher, same story, very little sleep, but later on in their life, they actually were, they had really severe dementia.
0: Mm. There's
1: some new evidence coming out now that certain forms of Alzheimer's disease have a sleep component. And it, it, it could very well be a subtype that sleep disruption actually predisposes you towards, um, certain types of dementia, which is Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's kind of scary.
0: Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So for anybody, I mean, again, like we, we both are very interested in dementia and Alzheimer's and what can we do to live better to to live younger longer, to use yes. your tagline. I yes. like that so much. Yeah. Well, what can we do? You can sleep. Good yeah. sleep. How hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a, there's another question. How hard can it be? Because so often I'm okay. What are the things that affect your sleep? The racing mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. The worry the oh you know as soon as your head hits the pillow wait a minute what about this what about that (laughs) Mm, I love a good dark room and I like it a little bit cool yep and I like to have my foot sticking out of the cover because that's how I regulate my temperature but I'll confess the weird little thing it can't hang over the edge of the bed because it always I think oh something may grab it and that is such an unrealistic thought because I've never had a monster under the bed, reach up and grab my foot. I've had one of my dogs lick my toes. <laughs> it's going to say you have dogs that would lick your toes. I do. I have a dog that is tall enough to come stand beside my bed and lay his head on my pillow. <laughs> but, oh, but you know, there's so many things we can do for good sleep hygiene. Oh, and those are the basic ones. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very basic ones. Another really good one is to get up and outside in the early morning sunshine because it helps your circadian rhythms get reset. Mm. Um, I try to do that even in the winter, get outside for 10 minutes, preferably before eight o'clock in the morning. Not always easy. Right. Right. But it, it really, it really
0: can help. I think it helps when you have pets. That you have to take care of because they demand if you as an adult who doesn't want to play (laughs) and who is just like very focused on your job if -hmm. you have to take care of a pet who says "Mm," sums up (laughs)
1: let's add out yes and that is a problem when it comes to daylight saving time oh, <laughs> because what? the dogs don't care no they don't
0: no. no they don't no 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 oh so what else in this in this section what else really speaks to you in this explore well I think one of the things that speaks to me is just that We've got to take control and make sure that we have space for these things and protect our boundaries.
1: Yes, and how do you make space? You have to be aware of the clutter that is creeping in, right? right. So you need to, again, you need to be clear about what are the things that are important to you. And, and he wraps up the, the section on Explore by talking, he calls it the power of extreme criteria. And the first time I read extreme criteria, I'm already disciplined enough. Thank you. Right. (laughs) But really what he's talking about is like how to get you out of what I call indecision purgatory. Yes. If it's nine out of 10, you do it. If it's, Seven out of 10, it's a no. So the extreme criteria is like, do I absolutely want to do this? Then the answer is yes. Otherwise, thanks, but no thanks. Right. You touched on that a little bit last time, where it's like, what is your hell yes?
0: Right, right. And
1: if it's not a hell yes, it's a no, but thanks for asking.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. And I know I got really excited last time thinking about the power law theory that certain efforts that you have are going to have exponentially greater results I think this ties into that because if it's a hell yes your passion's going to be there you're probably going to have a little more creativity you're going to want to create those boundaries to protect your efforts you know, mm-hmm. it's it's there's it's going to have so much more going for it so, you know, again, that gets back to the, well, sometimes you're going to have to come in if you want to have this kind of life, the essentialist kind of life, you're going to have to say no to some good things. Because, and be okay with it. Right, right. Because if you're ranking something on a, on a 10 point scale, a seven is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing but it's not your 9 out of 10 it's not your oh man this is it ah this is my orange bicycle that helps me go faster <laughs> i love this little girl <laughs> oh but you're right in that that extreme criteria that, and and the way he he walks you through being able to figure out all right where where are the essential things that your your desires your abilities your how you're going to work in the world where they all converge and that little center part of the venn diagram where is it it's in those nine of tens not the five of tens quit being lukewarm
1: the fives and unders are easy to identify yes and the nines can be easy to identify it's that six seven eight range is like is yes, maybe this is important yeah it's you know i think that's where
0: a lot of the shoulds are i should do this should oh, should yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a cuss word <laughs> <laughs> it's more than four letters i know but should is a cuss word hmm <laughs>
1: You could spell it S-H-U-D and then it'd be okay. There you go. Should. All right. That's, that's probably how it
0: sounds when I say it. So. <laughs> oh you know, I think that he really does just a marvelous job of helping us figure out what are these essential things. How how to how to define what it is, how to create the space to protect what's essential for you. And like we talked about before, it's a change and change can feel it because it's different. It feels uncomfortable and we might think, oh, it's hard because it's different. But I think the more we do it, this is what I've definitely experienced for myself. The more we do it, the better it feels. And so we can go, oh, you know, those nines, those things, oh, this feels great to be pouring Mm -hmm. our energy and our passion and gathering those people to us that feel the same about what's going on in their life. It picks up the momentum.
1: For sure, for sure. And he sums it up with how to make that decision.
0: Yeah yeah so this isn't pie in the sky let's just read a book and go "Mm, that was those were nice words it's very practical here do these things Mm -hmm. think about what's happening in your life are you playing are you resting are you having time for creativity are you getting sleep are you getting good sleep go to sleep oh so good so good all right that's part two now I'm gonna go read part three because I I told you this is how I'm doing it it's so weird for me to do it this way it's kind of like I'm playing a little bit with how I read things so usually I would just wolf this thing up and just I'd have it done and I'd be on my second reading but I'm very slowly going through going ah okay what about this you're playing with it i am playing with it <laughs> i like to play <laughs> and i like to sleep on it so good things good things we've talked about all right my friend any all right. other parting words
1: no other parting words all right,
0: all right. thank all right. you so much my pleasure